So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're looking at verses 19 through 23. Let me start off by saying what Martin Luther gave this quote. He said, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all who is subject to none. Then he also said, but a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all and therefore subject to all. So what does it mean that we have freedoms in Christ, Christian liberty, but yet he still calls us to be a servant to all? It means because winning people to Christ sometimes could possibly cost us everything. But do we have a concern and a desire for people to come to Christ? Hear what the Apostle Paul says from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. And to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. And I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, as we begin to hear these words, Lord, I think for a lot of us, these are hard words because we like comfort, and we like to think just if, we, just if we live our lives in such a way, people will see us and be drawn to you. And Lord, we do know that's true. But Lord, sometimes you call us out of comfort to become something we're not normally, so that we might have the opportunity to win more people to Christ by hearing the gospel message preached. So, Father, please come and confront us, convict us. But, Father, put inside of us a burning desire, a zeal for people to know you and to know you intimately so that they, too, might come and worship you as their Lord and Savior as we do this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at reaching today. And so we're going to look at the reaching's purpose, the reaching strategy, and then the reaching blessing. So the purpose we find from what Paul is saying is he says, I want to become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So that's the question of how do we do this so that we might save some? Now, it's a thing that we would call probably the master purpose. What are we called to do? Big picture as Christians. First and foremost, we're supposed to know God. We're to know him intimately. We're supposed to know him in fellowship. We're supposed to continue to grow in our love for him all the time throughout our whole lifetime. We'll never, ever find ourselves at a place where we understand and comprehend God in all of his fullness. So we continue to grow. We continue to study. We continue to pray. All of that is a part of that. But then he also tells us, now go and make God known because we are called to preach the gospel. Now, this seems like this is anti-Presbyterian, doesn't it? That we're supposed to go out and try to preach the gospel to save some, change who we are to save some. That's not anti-Presbyterian. It's actually more Presbyterian because God tells us, 
Go therefore and preach the gospel. We don't know anybody's hearts. Now, the thing is, we're not held accountable for how they respond. That's left up to God. And so we go and we freely preach the gospel message to everyone that we have an opportunity with, preaching freely to everyone around us and then allow God to be God and allow God to change hearts. But we are called to preach the gospel to everyone. Now, this might seem controversial, right? Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's difficult. Again, if if you remember, okay, I mean, I don't know if you do or not, but a little over a year and a half ago, I came in here and I gave the challenge and I said, you know how we're going to double our size, the the church double in size? Every person is going to invite one other family in the course of this year. Look how we did. Not great. Because we find it difficult. Because we find it sometimes hard. Well, I don't want to make this awkward. I don't want to make this friendship awkward. I don't want to make relationships awkward at work. But we have every opportunity to go out and to say, why are they not looking? Sometimes people don't come to church because they've never been asked. Again, people, people, I want to be very careful here. A lot of Christians would have never have invited me to church when I was in high school. Because I was a bad kid. I was doing bad things. And so when you're good people, you don't want bad kids at your church. That's exactly the opposite of what church should be. We should be inviting everyone who we struggle with so they might come to the saving knowledge of grace in Jesus Christ. And so we know it's difficult, but it's the imperative that Paul has. It's the drive for him to go out and say, I don't want people to go to hell. And is that something that breaks our heart? When we look at people around us, does it break our heart to know that the majority of the people out there are going to hell? And do we care? Because that's hard too. And I've told you, I, again, I'm the same jerk in my house that I am up here. And I've told you I've struggled with going to places like malls and stuff and when my professor made me go and do that and look at teenagers and go, I don't like teenagers. I don't, they're nasty. They're mean. They have attitudes. But at the same time, we have to remind ourselves we're that same person. We might cover it up a little bit better, but we're still annoying people to one another. And except for the grace of God, there go I. And so again, we need to have this vision of saying, okay, do I care about the people that are around me? Do I care if they know Christ or not? Now, Paul begins to um, argue from this perspective. He says, look, I am free. And he had Christian liberty. So what do we have Christian liberty from? We're freed from the penalty of sin? If you're a Christian, you're no longer held to sin that's going to send you to hell? You're freed from the power of sin, which means you can't say, well, the devil made me do it. That's a lie. 
It's your choice if you so choose to sin. Because we've been freed by the power of Christ. We're free from the Jewish law, the ceremonial law. So we're freed from a lot of things, but we ask the question, what are we freed to? Are we free to just anything, everything? Is God up there and just says, I just want to make you happy? No, the Apostle Paul in this passage, and then also from Galatians 6.2 says this, we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we're still held by the imperatives. And it comes from Mark 12, verses 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them um, disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them, he asked them, which commandments is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus comes and he answers and he says, we're free, but we're free to serve others. We're free to give ourselves away. Are we free? Yes, but Jesus is still our master. And so we take Christ's example where he is that great servant, where he came and he humbled himself and he gave himself over to death, even death upon the cross, so that we might never have to experience hell. And as he gives us imperative, he says, remember what he says to the people that crucify him? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And he tells us, now go and do likewise as I have done. Now again, that's easy to say. It's hard to do when somebody hurts your feelings, when somebody um, breaks your trust. How quick are you to say, Father, forgive them? Or do we start to hold a grudge? Maybe it's not even people in the church. Maybe it's the people outside of the church. People within your own families. How quickly are we to lay down the things that we fight for so that the gospel might win out? And so Paul says, come and be a servant to all, releasing our personal freedoms so that we can become a servant to all. In regards to this, um, I told you last week that I, I struggle when I come up to the lights and there's people there asking for money or help or work or whatever it might be. And I'm just like, don't make eye contact. Just pray that the light changes. A great thing, though, Janice Reagan came up to me. And she goes, I've got, a, I've got a solution for you. Said, I'm ready. And she said, I take $5 McDonald cards, gift cards, and attract. And so anytime I see one of those people, I hand them a gift card to McDonald's and attract. I'm like, that makes sense. Here's someone who's thinking of others and laying down who she is. And let God be God. Let God move their hearts. Maybe even invite them to church. 
So we become a servant to all because, listen, God has called all of us to be missionaries. He's called all of us to be missionaries. Now, he also not only gives us the purpose of going out, but he also gives us the strategy. And he gives us a strategy because Paul tells us we are to adapt, which means that we have to go out and begin to change who we are depending on the people that we're ministering to. So I call it earning the right to be heard. We all know that statement. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? So how are people going to know if you're, you're caring about them if you're not speaking to them, if you're not going to them, if you're not changing who you are in order to minister to them? See, he's calling us to be flexible and to adapt to the situations, but he's also calling us to be faithful. We don't go and change who we are completely and give away the gospel message. The gospel message has to be forefront. But the question is, how do we go out there and adapt to the situation we're in? And so he gives us three different ways. The first time that he gives to us, he gives it to the Jewish or the religious people. And he says, I'm going to go be Jewish around people who are Jewish. I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to do the things that they're doing. There's an example of um, when I was doing this commentary work of a situation where someone came in, he was really rough, um, wasn't shaven, smelled a little bit, clothes tattered, everything like that, but it was a full service. And so he came in, he didn't find any seats in the back, didn't find anything up front, kind of looked around while the, the pastor was preaching, kind of making a little bit of commotion. People were looking at him. And so what he decided to do, he sat down right in the middle of the aisle. And now everybody's like, oh, what's going to happen? That's awkward. Don't like this. Then it said that the leader of the elders got up and walked down the aisle, and people were thinking, oh, he's going to take this guy, he's going to usher him back out to the back of the building, and he said that the elder sat down next to the man. What are we willing to adapt to? What are we willing to change for? We have been so uncomfortable that we would ask this guy, hey, you need to get up and you need to go to the back of the sanctuary. Or would you have been the person that would have sat down next to him so they felt comfortable and welcome? See, we're continuing to adapt in, in places where, again, religious things happen, and so we can become religious. Remember what Timothy does? Timothy isn't circumcised, but Paul says, hey, I'm sending you to the Jewish people. You're going to get circumcised. That's a big change. He comes and he says, I want you to begin to not to offend other people. So maybe as we're trying to win people of other beliefs, maybe we shouldn't come in when you're talking to a Mormon with a can of Coke. Just because you can. When I go and I'm a part of my Jewish relatives events and stuff like that, I put on my yarmulke. So as to not offend so how do we become that to the religious people, keeping faithful to the Scripture? So he says, do it to the, to the Jews and to the religious people, but he also says, do it to the Gentiles or those outside of the law. 
because they become a law unto themselves. The great example that we have of that is where Jesus, remember, goes and he talks to the woman at the well. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, first of all, men weren't supposed to talk to women. Two, Jews weren't supposed to be around Samaritans. And so Jesus, when he comes and he's sitting there at the well and this woman's coming at midday, which all the other women have already been there and left, and she's not welcome. And she knows she's not welcome. And yet Jesus comes and he sits down by the well and he asks her, hey, will you draw me some water? Remember how she responds? Who are you to to ask me to draw water? This is so inappropriate. And Jesus says, if you knew who I was, I, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. So there's an interaction where Jesus comes and he's so anti what the normal culture would have said. And so we have to make sure that we start where people are. And our, ask ourselves this very question, what are we willing to change? What are we willing to change? How do we going to make other people feel more important. The last group is the weak. To me, this reminded me of of Navy boot camp because the Navy boot camp, at least where I was and over here in Orlando, uh, we'd had 82 people sleeping in one room where you were in racks, okay? And they would, we'd have to stay in inspection pretty much every day. We'd have to take all our bedding off and put it on the floor, and then we'd have to take it, and we were timed, and we had to make our beds, and everything had to be just right. Our washcloths had to be just right. Our towels had to be just right. I still remember to this day, seam and slack to the center of the rack open into the left for my pillow. My blanket had to be made just right. And they called it no rat holes. You couldn't have a rat hole in your blanket to where anything could get in. And then they would. They literally would bring a quarter, and they had to be able to bounce the quarter off of your bed. Now, because you were in Iraq, those two people, you took care of each other. And that sounds really great. Except there are people on each side of you. And I remember the first time our Iraq passed inspection. The people next to us didn't. So they were going to go for some, they called it um, indoor tennis. Extra training, intense indoor training. And you did it with the Navy SEALs. And I was like, that's sad for you. We passed until my company commander said, and the two racks on the side of them, you're going with them. What? We passed. But you let them fail. You're only as strong as the weakest link. Did those people ever fail again? No, they did not. We made sure of that. Do we do that for our weak brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we so love them? Do we so care for them? We will not allow them to fail in life in Christ. Do we so love them that we want them to succeed? See, we help in the midst of weakness so that we can represent Christ faithfully. Faithful, meaning we never compromise the gospel message, 
But listen to this. Maybe the gospel message makes us compromise greater. Did you get that? We never compromise the gospel, but the gospel itself might cause us to compromise so that we might win others for Christ. A great example of this is Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor was the one who started the China Inland Mission. And what was happening is they would have Americans go, and they would go to China, and they would stay on the coast, um, and they were stayed as pretty much Christian Americans. And usually what happened, according to Hudson Taylor, was that these people became translators for businessmen or for government officials, and they'd come over, and they would be able to translate the Chinese for them. But they became usually wealthy. They became well-to-do, but they always stayed on the outside. And Hudson Taylor came in and said, we need to go where the people are, where they need to be saved. And so we're going to go to inland China, which was unheard of. But not only that, he said, and we're going to dress like the Chinese. American people dressing like Chinese. And he lived by faith. They never went already having everything figured out financially. And he actually put single women out in the field. And he would come back and he would say, we need to have 50 more people in this next year. And God would give him like 52. He needed 100 people by the next time. God gave him 104 people to go and put themselves in a position that's very uncomfortable to go and win people for Christ because we want them to know Christ more intimately. So we're faithful and we're flexible. But then God also says there's a blessing that comes with it. And the first and foremost is with the gospel. We get to partake of the gospel. We get to give all things for the gospel. Now, we've seen people who've given their utmost for the other, for their teammates. Carrie Struggs, remember her? On the Olympic team in Atlanta. She's on the vault. Okay? First vault. She vaults. She messes up her ligaments. She can barely walk. Does she quit? No. She goes back. She hits her second vault, lands it, and they win the gold medal. And she has to get carried off. Tim Duncan gives up a huge portion of his salary so that they can win, <coughs> excuse me, so that they can win the championship the next year. What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to partake of? Because the gospel should become the drive of our life and it should become for the honor of Christ. How do we want God honored? Now, I'm going to give you this story. It's one for the Gipper. Let's go win one for the Gipper. Now, again, this comes from Newt Rockney. Now, Newt Rockney was known as a, as a liar. Okay, so the story is probably not true. But Newt Rockney did give a speech during halftime when Notre Dame was playing um, Army, and they were losing. And he said um, during halftime that when he had to hold on to the story and he talked about George Gipp, who was one of the greatest players at Notre Dame, and he told the story that probably is not true. And he said, he said, hey, when the guys are down, when it's, the game is getting the best of them, tell them win one for the Gipp. Win one for the Gipp. And no matter where I am, 
it's going to make me happy, Newt. It's going to make me happy. And at that point, if you watch the movie, one of the players gets up and says, let's win one for the Gipper. Okay, that's where it comes from. Now, again, that's probably all a lie. But it's a good point. And here's the point, okay? Are we going out for the honor of Christ to win others? Do you see it that way? I get the privilege and the honor to go out and dispel the story of my heavenly father and his son who gave his life for me. And I get the privilege of going out there and telling others about Jesus so that they can come and worship God as we do today. So we go with the gospel and it says when we're part of the gospel, we receive blessings. We receive blessings. Have you been there when someone's accepted Jesus Christ for the first time? Do you remember what that feels like? How you were like, man, all glory to God, but I get to share in that glory. Oh, what a wonderful place to be to go out and to see people respond to the gospel message. Well, that's our call as a church. To reach both here locally and to reach globally. So we know our purpose. You've been called You know the strategy. Become all things to all people to win some for Christ. And then receive the blessings that God gives to you. And I leave you with this. as a quote from C.T. Studd. He says, some people want to live within the sound of the church or the chapel bell. He says, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Is that our concern that when we go out here and we leave in our cars and we go back to our neighborhoods, will we drive around and start to say, God, I want my neighborhood for Jesus Christ. God, I want the O'Galley area for Jesus Christ. I want Brevard County for Jesus Christ. Don't let me settle for anything less. And then ask the question, what am I willing to do to be a part of that change? So you have your purpose. You have your strategy. And let's go and receive the blessings of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, easy words to say, hard words to live out. Because, Father, it is difficult sometimes. It is scary for us. Sometimes we think we don't have the words to say, and yet Ed already read the Scripture for us. You give us the words at the right moment, at the right time. So you don't give us an excuse, but you do give us plenty of opportunities. And so, Father, give us eyes to see that we would, again, as we've already read from from the Scripture in chapter 9 of Matthew, that the wheat, it's ripe. So, Father, we're praying to you that we would become the workers that go out, that we go out into the fields, that we would go and that we would reap what has already been sown. And, Father, that we would grow your kingdom, your church, all to your glory. And so, Father, use us, use us to build your kingdom. For this we pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.